Tonight, God's word comes to us from 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5. We are going to begin our reading in verse 5 and then read through the end of this chapter. First Peter 5, beginning in the second half of verse 5, what we hear now is God's word. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> well, we come tonight to the end of our series of sermons on this first letter of Peter. We have seen that uh, throughout this letter it begins in somewhat a structured way and ends less so. The begin, it begins as a letter to the churches uh, reminding them of the blessing of being called by God. That's how Peter began. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. In the first 12 verses of chapter 1, he talks about the blessing of belonging, of being called by God himself. Then in chapter 1, verse 13, he begins with that general call to holiness. He says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And he gives that general call to holiness, which he will flesh out in the rest of chapter 1 and into chapter 2. And then at chapter 2, verse 13, he begins some very specific calls to holiness. Calls to holiness as regards the institution of the state. 
calls to holiness between slaves and masters, calls to holiness between husband and wife. And that goes on until about the middle of chapter 3. And it's at that point that he, uh, he begins to just talk about various topics, kind of hard to categorize, hard to put together. He talks about suffering for the sake of Christ. He talks about preaching to the spirits in prison. He talks about the fact that the end of all things is near. Now we come to the end of the letter, to chapter 5. And, and, and as he closes this letter off, he's going to give final words of exhortation and final words of encouragement. Now really, in the end of chapter 5 here, he somewhat recounts what he has said before and reminds them that God is a God who is with them in times of trial. If I was going to give a title to the book of 1 Peter, I would say encouragement from God in times of trial. We've seen that theme woven throughout the book as well. God's encouragement to a church that was going through difficulties, a church that was suffering. And he says, he reminds them, God is still with you. God is still in control. So as this letter comes to a close, he's going to give them three calls. A call to humility, a call to resistance, and a call to glory. And I wondered if perhaps these might be three different sermons that we would deal with, but we decided to just, let's just do it all. We're going to finish up tonight. These three calls from Peter to the church. Words of encouragement, a call to humility, a call to resistance, and a call to glory. A reminder of God's grace to them, a reminder of God's grace to us. He says in verse 5, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. A call to humility toward other people. Clothe yourself. Put on this humility. In your relations with other people, he says, act in a certain way. Act in a way that is humble, not exalting yourself. And what I find interesting is, we started the reading you know, halfway through verse 5. The beginning of verse 5, gives instruction with regard to elders in the church, our, our obligation to them. But in the second half, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. This is not just for a particular section of the church. This is for all of us. No one is exempt from the call to humility. No one can say, well, humility, that's not my particular gift. All of us. All of us called to humble ourselves toward one another. And, and certainly, especially in the Christian church, we are those who are the recipients of the grace of God. We have not earned anything ourselves. Everything we have is a gift of his grace to be received with humility. We don't boast in who we are. We don't boast in what we have done but God has chosen to bless us. So he says, clothe yourself with humility. Of course, as we do that, we reflect the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who in John chapter 13 very literally clothed himself with humility, taking a towel and washing his disciples' feet. I'm always shocked by that story. Jesus Christ washing the feet of the disciples. 
evidencing to them, showing them this is what, this is what humility looks like. Not trying to be the one on top, being willing to serve others. That is so unnatural for us. We much prefer to be served than to serve. But Jesus Christ came to serve, not to be served. We are to put on this humility. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but he gives his grace to the humble. Humility toward one another and humility toward God. Verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. So at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Humbling yourself before God. Especially in times of trial, in times of difficulty. It is so easy for us when we are struggling to tell God what he should do. God, why don't you do this for me? Thinking that we know better. He says, humble yourself. And, 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 and when those difficulties, those hardships come, cast all your anxieties upon him. God knows your needs. God will provide for your needs. And, and even at the proper time, he will exalt you. Humble yourself before God, trusting that that his plan is better than your plan, trusting that his vision is better than our limited vision and casting all of our cares on him. That in difficult times, we know we have a God who is faithful, a God whom we can trust. This, this call to humility, reminding them that even in times of trial, God is there to, to take all those, all those difficulties upon himself. A call to humble ourselves toward others and humble ourselves before God. He gives a second call, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. A call to resistance. A call to resist the devil. Be sober-minded. Be watchful, he says. I, I believe it was C.S. Lewis who said that there are two errors we often make with regard to the devil. One of those errors is to ignore him, to act as if he doesn't exist, that he's a, a, a made-up story to scare our children. Peter says, think soberly, think properly. Don't ignore the wiles of the devil because he does prowl around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We are not to ignore the fact that the devil is real and the devil has power. That's one error. The other error is to give him too much power. We don't have to fear the devil. We don't think of the devil as, as an equal ultimate with God. That God is all good and the devil's all bad and they're somehow on the equal level. 
God is creator of all things, all-powerful. The devil is a creature. He is limited. He cannot do all things. And as believers, we need not fear the power of the devil. Oh, we do not underestimate it. We don't ignore him. But we don't have to fear either. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Because he is like a lion prowling around seeking someone to devour. That's the picture that Peter gives us here, children, of a lion ready to pounce. And you can almost, you can almost picture that in your mind. A lion creeping along very quietly, looking for its prey, and then at just the right time, the lion bolts and pounces and take down, takes down that which it is stalking. He says that's what the devil is like. The devil, the devil doesn't come saying, I'm the devil, I'm going to tell you bad things to do. He doesn't come that way. He comes subtly, like a lion. Subtly, working on our minds, subtly working on our hearts, and then at just the right time, he comes to attack. Peter says, resist. Resist him, stand firm in your faith. Because yes, he is like a lion, but he is like a lion on a chain. A chain that is held by God himself. The devil can only do what God allows him to do. He is not all powerful. He does not know all things. He is limited. He is a creature. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith. And James tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Beautiful picture. The lion not now stalking us, but the lion fleeing in fear when we stand firm in our faith in the power of Christ. A call to resistance. How did Jesus resist the devil when he encountered him in the wilderness? The devil came to tempt Jesus, and Jesus countered the words of the devil with the word of God. We need to stand firm in our faith, but that means we need to know the faith that we have. We need to know the word of God to stand against the wiles of the devil, which is why it's so important to have a regular daily intake of this holy word. We, 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 we feed on it. It is the bread of life to us. That's why it's so important to have a weekly intake of the public proclamation of the word of God. To come together as God's people to hear that word explained and proclaimed that we can get the tools necessary to answer this call to resist the devil. To stand firm in our faith. Oh, it is much easier just to give in. 
it is much easier to give in to the temptation. But that is to be devoured. It's not a small thing. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist. Stand firm in your faith. And as you do that, know that you are standing in a long line of those whom God has called, those whom God has chosen, God, those whom God has strengthened by his word. He says, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We're not the only ones to face trial not the only ones to face difficulty. The church in Peter's day faced difficulties. We face hardships and difficulties today. So draw near to God. Spend time in his word that by his spirit he might empower you to resist the devil and his schemes lest you be devoured as well. A call to resistance. And then finally, he gives them a call to glory. Verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The God of all grace who has called you to his glory. In many ways, Peter ends here like he began. A reminder of who they are in Jesus Christ. To those who are the elect exiles called according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Christ with the sprinkling of blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. A call to eternal glory in Christ. Yes, now we may through go, go through times of trial, even times of persecution, but this is not the end of our life. This world is not all that there is. God continues to work. God continues to call us in his grace to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus. We have a, a, a wonderful hope for what awaits us following this life. Oh, he does say, he does say, after you have suffered a little while. He does not qualify what that little while is. But we have talked about that. I think it was the last sermon, a number of sermons in this series, the call to get that eternal perspective. Not to become so myopic in our view that all we can see is the trial that lays before us, but that eternal perspective that we will spend an eternity in glory with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, even though now, for what is relatively a little while, oh, I know when we're going through it, it feels like it's forever, but relatively a little while going through the difficulty and the suffering because God has called us to eternal glory with him. And what does he say? He himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God himself will do these things. What encouragement 
to a hurting church. What encouragement to those going through trial. God himself is going to restore. God himself is going to confirm. God himself is going to strengthen. God himself is going to establish us in Jesus Christ. We are called by God and preserved by God. God himself will care for us. Is it any wonder that Peter ends this letter by breaking into doxology? To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He reflects on who God is. He reflects on what God has done and will do for his church in this world and praises God. For certainly to him does belong all the praise and honor and glory and dominion forever. It's a fitting close to the letter. A letter that has addressed the call to holiness. A letter that has addressed struggling with difficulties, struggling with hardships. A letter that ends with encouragements and exhortations. A call to humility a call to resistance, a call to glory for all who are in Jesus Christ. This same call comes to us tonight for all who are in Christ. And if you, if you are not in Christ tonight, if you've never embraced Jesus Christ, then he calls you with the gospel this evening. He calls you to know him as, as your Lord and your Savior, to humble yourself, to give up your own sinful ways, to humble yourself before Christ become a follower of God, that, that his spirit may dwell in you so you can resist the devil standing firm in your faith. And you also have that glorious call, even in the midst of trials in this life, that glorious call to a glorious eternity with God forever. May the words of Peter strengthen us and encourage us as we go into this new week. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you for this letter from the Apostle. A letter written to your church so many years ago, but a letter that is still applicable and relevant to us today. When we face trial, when we face difficulty, when we face persecution, we know, O oh God, you are still the God who is in control. So strengthen our faith by the power of your word and spirit. Strengthen us, especially in times of trial, that we may rely upon you, knowing that you are the God who is always faithful to your promise and always faithful to your people. Hear our prayer, for Jesus' sake, amen. We turn to number 243 in the Trinity Psalter hymnal. 243, how firm a foundation you saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, I am with you, O be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand upheld by my righteous omnipotent, all-powerful hand. We're going to sing verses 1, 2, and 3, and then verse 6. The first three in verse 6 of 243. Let's stand together as we sing. Mm -hmm. 